Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. You are in the place to be with Neighborhood Nice. You know, it's the greatest podcast to ever grace the face of the earth. Come on, guys. Interplanetary. You know how we coming? Uh, I got my boy ATL with me. ATL, talk to me. How you guys doing? Happy to see you. Of course. Well, it's great to see you. Uh, normally, we have our other partner in crime, but he's uh, very busy today. So shout out to our brother, AB. But Love you, AB. I, I got us a great, great, great stand-in guy. Now, listen. You guys know this guy, because the minute he talks, you're going to know exactly who he is. But in case you didn't, let me roll out our bro's resume. He is, without a doubt, one of the most gifted actors in the field. Snaps. Notice I said actor. I didn't say voice. I said actor. Yes. You may know him as Tetsuo from Akira. You may know him as Hige from Wolfstrain. But you may really know him as Tai Kamir from Digimon Adventure. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Joshua Seth. <sighs> thank you. Thank you. What an intro. You didn't Top mention he was in Spongebob movie. Totally yeah, yeah, spies. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, you know what? I had to mention his heavy hitters. Yeah. Yes, yeah. We know that he's in a bunch of other things. Deep bag. You know. Very deep bag. Yeah. Yeah. Joshua deep bag, Seth. We know. We know what he's got. <laughs> Listen, Joshua, man, I appreciate you coming through to hang out with the dogs today, man. You got it. So, uh, honestly, we basically just wanted to, uh, you know, let people know who you are and let them know what a gifted voice there is behind the mic today. So, I guess let's just uh, let's get right to it. Uh, you know, you are a prolific voice actor in the anime community. I mean, that in and of itself, that must be the most, like, niche, like, fandom that you'll ever get. Because, like, it doesn't seem like anybody will ever pick you up off the street, but like once they hear you talk, they know you're the guy, right? That's true. I was going, I was, I was going through the airport with a friend who was a Power Ranger the other day, and literally the guy <laughs> that pushed the button in the elevator looked at him and says, "You're a Power, you're the Power Ranger." Said, yeah, that never happens to me. Well, that actually one time, a long time ago, uh, I was in an, a movie theater that had some uh, video games, like stand-up consoles there, and my character died. And I went, "Oh man!" It's, but he did a double take and recognized me. <laughs> but that's one of the benefits of being a voice actor is you get to sort of have one foot in both worlds. You, you can live your life anonymously if you like, but you also have access to the studios in Hollywood and, you know, actually being seeing yourself or hearing yourself on TV or in the movies, which is pretty cool. No, honestly, that sounds amazing. I, um, it's funny because you know we're podcasters, so people don't necessarily you oh, know, wait, there's see a podcast? us or whatever. But yeah, 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 yeah. big one, big oh, one. Thank you for pointing out. 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 <laughs> but uh, no, I, it was I, more I did like not know um, that. <laughs> yes, those are references for people old enough to know that I'm doing Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon. Oh wow! <laughs> you've never, you've never heard. I mean, hey. Hey, listen, it's going to go right over the audience's head, but it's okay. That's it doesn't right. Matter. We're here for the content. But no, um, it was, it's one of those things where you're right. When people start recognizing you for your voice, it's happened to me actually a couple of times. And uh, I got to say, it's kind of jarring because uh, for people to recognize you just off of your vocal quality, just off it's, your voice, it's crazy, yeah. right? Yeah, it, it always does <laughs> surprise me. Or when I'm at a Comic-Con, you know, like doing these autograph signing things. And people come up, they want me to say their name or they want me to say some specific line that they remember from one of the shows, you know, say that thing. And my mm -hmm. friends and I, this is like our in phrase now. And you realize, oh, you've had an impact on people's lives. Like you're, Aww. you said a catchphrase that, for them, you know, for that group. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's dumb, man. So, so tell me, how did your, uh, how did you get into the lake? This whole thing. How did you know you could basically put out a voice and people would hear it and be like, yeah, that kid's you know, got I something. Did How did funny, you know? I did different voices as a kid. All growing up, I always did goofy voices. And I was always getting <laughs> in trouble in class. And it was, I, I, one teacher put me in a locker once because he couldn't get me to shut up. I remember. <laughs> yeah, that didn't happen these days. But, you know, back no. then, that was a, I think that might have been the same teacher that had one of those wooden paddles with the holes drilled in it on the, oh, on the wall, like as an implicit threat. So... Uh, so that's, that's cool. I, I could have lockers. <laughs> and made a career out of the thing I got in trouble as, uh, for doing as a kid. But uh, seriously, my my dad was a radio psychologist, so mm -hmm. I knew there was a way for me to use the, my voice on the mic. This is obviously before podcasts and and doing things like this became so accessible. But when I was growing up in school, sometimes my dad would 
take me to the radio station and I'd see how the sausage was made. I'd see how the show was produced and what the, what the carts were and, you know, look at the waveforms on the software and go behind the mic on, on his side of the glass and, and be on the radio. And so later, fast forward to college, I went to NYU, New York University in, in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. I went to uh, Tisch School of the Arts at NYU. And coming from a small town in Ohio, as I did, where my closest neighbors were cows and cornfields, and <laughs> we had five horses, you know, growing up, like there's nobody around. Uh, the, the city felt very strangely lonely because it was full of people that I didn't know. But then I walked into the radio station at NYU and I felt at home. I felt like, oh, I know this. This is familiar to me. So I I got a radio show, but it was in the middle of the night. It was supposed to be, you know, people calling in and requesting records. There were actual records back then, but nobody was calling in. So I just started, I just started prank calling goofing myself. Around. Yeah, I just started goofing around. And uh, young man, can you play some klezma? You know, this is a college radio station. We don't have klezma. The young people need to hear that, you know, and... Anyway, by the time I graduated, I had hundreds of voices. I think there was something like 200 voices on an overly wow. long demo that I sent to an agent in Hollywood. And a week after graduating, moved out to L.A. and thought, now I'm an actor. Now I'm a voice actor. But, yeah, it took years <laughs> to, to really get that to take hold. But the day that I, the day that I moved, the day I showed up to sign the papers at my agents, I met masters. I met uh, Charlie Adler, for instance. Mm-hmm. Now he's a famous voice director, but back then, voice Buster actor. Buster Bunny, correct? Yeah. Pardon? He it, plays Buster Bunny in uh, Tiny Two's Adventure, right? Yeah, I believe so. He was uh, at back then. I think he was doing mm-hmm. the voices of cow and chicken both on oh, that show. But mm-hmm, he's he's super mm-hmm, talented and uh, Legend. Bob Bergen, who's a Porky Pig on that as well. Porky Pig, yeah. <laughs> Legend, but like that, like my very first day in Los Angeles, and they kind it just by virtue of the fact that they existed and that I was in the same room with them and auditioning alongside of them, you know, it gave me hope and I needed it because like I said, it took me years before Digimon hit at which point I had a real career. But until then I was just doing (laughs) a day's work here on Rugrats or a day's work there on Hey Arnold or, you know, lots and dozens of little day day player. It's called jobs as a voice actor, nothing really consistent, a commercial, the first voice, role I ever got was uh, Disney. It was for uh, mom, dad, can we go to Disneyland? It's the Magic Kingdom, <laughs> Buckaroos. It was, you know, me doing the kid voice like that. That was my first mm-hmm. paying voiceover job. But there were, those were far and few between mm. initially. And then, of course, after Digimon, it all changed and I was working every day and until I, uh, until I thought I got to get the hell out of Los Angeles and left it all behind. But that's another story. So even before, uh, I have a even, question. Yeah, I, yeah I, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. There's a, not a question, more of a statement because I don't want to get too far from it. You talked about like seeing how the sausage was made and seeing the work that your dad put in and like kind of being in the back and seeing how everything, the gears turn. Uh, I think no it's interesting. Intended. Yeah, no puns intended. I feel like a lot of people think that they can make funny voices and that's kind of like the end of voice acting. The way I see, when people say that, I see kind of like saying I can make a jump shot so I could probably be in the NBA. Right, so more to see the hard work. Yeah, you're right. There's yeah, there's so it. much more to it. That, the 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 word is show business. They forget the business. Mm-hmm. And that's what I saw by going to that radio station. Actually, not only that, I skipped over an important part, which is I was an actor on stage in touring Broadway productions of musicals, and my the first one was Yul Brenner's touring cast for The King and I, and I played Prince Chella Longcorn eight shows a week for I think it was eight weeks. And and then I did one after another from the time I was eight to eighteen. I was I was doing shows, eight shows a week, six days a week for paying audiences, at first in, you know, five hundred seat theaters and then in twenty five hundred seat theaters by the end. So by the time I got to college, I had I would say thousands of shows under my belt and a work ethic. And I understood how to work cooperatively and collaboratively with the rest mm-hmm. of a creative team and how important it is to to show up and be present and focused on the work and, and to just be a little bit better every day. Yeah. It's tough. Remember, you, remember reading that you had, you wrote all those voices on like postcards. On postcards? You know, so like, or like uh, note cards, whatever they're called. <laughs> I don't know. 
It's a lot of hard work. Yeah. He recorded a long demo reel of that. But, you know, before before we get into your sort of, you know, iconic role, I wanted to ask you, you know, the first time you discovered, you know, anime was a thing. I'm pretty sure it was at NYU, right? The first time that you'd seen Akira, correct? That is correct. And it is because my air conditioner stopped working. And it was very hot in the city. And it, my only option was to go somewhere with air conditioning. So, like, ride the subway or go see a movie. And the part of New York I was in is called Greenwich Village, and there was an art house theater. I think it was the New Art, at, unless I'm unless I'm confusing that with Los Angeles. Well, it was an art house theater, whatever it was called, and they had air conditioning and they had a poster, which is the animated artwork of Akira, which looked interesting to me, but I really knew nothing about it. And I came out of that movie thinking, I want to do this. Like this is the future of animation. You got to realize American audiences had never seen anime or any animation for adults at that time. It was really all mm -hmm. just like Bugs Bunny and uh, Hanna-Barbera. Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry, yeah, it was stuff for kids. Uh, animation was thought of as as programming for kids. And then I saw Akira, which was not for kids at all. And I thought, this is going to be the future of animation, and I want to be a part of it. And then fast forward about seven years, I was already voiceover famous from from voicing Ty in Digimon, which we haven't even talked about yet. And, and <laughs> I got the call from Pioneer, who was redoing uh, Akira for the, the American, North American theatrical release. And they just asked me point blank to voice the leading role of Tetsuo. It was the only role I never had to audition for. And it was the role that made me want to be a voice actor in the first place. So the whole thing came full, full circle. And in fact, I am looking on the other side of my studio here of a framed painting of Akira. It was an artist's rendering of it that I got at a Comic-Con I did in, in Edinburgh, Scotland, right before the pandemic, maybe a month or so before the pandemic, because it was the beginning of 2020. And they themed the Comic-Con around Akira because it was supposed to take place at that time in the movie. Mm. That's the year that they had pointed out. So they themed the whole Comic-Con about right, that. Yeah. And they got that painting, and that's the only the only anime-themed artwork I have in my office here. Oh, I mean, I mean, come on. First of all, <laughs> there ain't no way you're going to tell me you don't have the Digimon movie poster somewhere in there. I don't believe that. That's in my that. kid's recording studio. My son is a, an electronic musician. He just put out his first album, and he's just turned 11, by the way. You should all listen. It was it's his called, birthday. Yeah, yeah, I seen. I seen. Tiger Seth. Tiger Seth, the album is called Tiger Ten. Seth, that's it's a good name. Killer electronic music. That's a music. dope name, man. Yeah, Seth, thank you. Tiger Max Seth, honestly. And it's his oh, I thought name. his middle name was Deep Bag as well. <laughs> Max. So all my movie <laughs> posters, he wanted them in there. So those are in there, and I have artwork in the in the studio work. Where I've, here's where I've been doing all the virtual shows and virtual recording and virtual keynotes. And it, everything that I've been doing during the pandemic is is right here. He took over my actual mm. office for his music. Hey, the low man's hustling. I respect that. Yes. You got to start early. You know, like, look, on the one hand, it's never too late to start, right? You can always reinvent yourself at any age. I'm continuing to reinvent myself mm. now that I am, you know, in, in my more advanced years, in my dotage. Mm. But, but uh, it definitely helps to know what you want and, and start young. Like I was eight when I started doing these equity theater wow. tours. And I, I basically never stopped from then until now performing. And like I said, the key is just incremental continuous improvement along a one continuous trajectory, just getting a little bit better mm -hmm. every day, every time that you do it. And then over the course of years, mm -hmm. uh, you find that you are actually good, but nobody starts that way. I have a mm -hmm. question for, for my friend Nice here. And for a lot of people out there, I know that you have um, like a voice acting Zoom class that you do. Uh, and you said like, it's never too late to reinvent yourself as long as you have like a clear and that you just talked about like reinventing yourself and it never being too late. Our, our resident superhero nice here, Neighborhood Nice, actually has a huge interest in voice acting. Um, so do you have any advice for the aspiring voice actors out there? Yeah, well, first of all, the the... If for anybody listening, I'm not doing those classes right now because things have been opening up, but it doesn't mean I won't. Mm -hmm. But I did r record a long form answer to that question about, oh. about the voiceover business and how you can make it a career. 
So it's free if you go to joshuaseth.com slash VO. You have to know that. It's not on my website. Like you have to go to joshuaseth.com slash VO directly in order to find it. But then you can just watch it. I recorded like a half an hour about like seven keys to voice acting. But you know, I'll give you a couple right now, which is one to realize as a business, there's many ways to make money at it. Like everybody thinks, oh, I want to be on a TV show or something. That's just one of many avenues. Like I love listening to audiobooks and people are yes. so talented that do audiobooks. I, I've been getting into these audible versions of Stephen King books lately. So I would like to ride my bike a lot and I'll listen to these Stephen King books and just those narrators, man, that there's, there's some of the best voice actors out there. As far as I'm concerned to be able to keep all of those voices straight and to engage the listener over sometimes 40 hours, the best one is yeah. the stand by the way. So that's just an example of something else that people might not think of. Oh, uh, I, I once for a couple of years, I think I did voiceovers for Mattel and they were putting together English learning. The toy company, program. right? The, the, like the toy company, yeah. But it was for English mm. learning programs for people from other countries. A is for Apple. Apple is, start, you know, Apple starts with A, that kind of thing. Like it's not glamorous, not the first thing you think of, but I just want to let people know that there's many different ways to make it as a voice actor. Uh, and so not to get, not to put all of your hopes and dreams into just being on a TV show because that's only one round. Yeah. Uh, another key is to to work on your acting skills by living a living a, a bigger life, basically, because you can only act to mm. the limit of what your life experience is. Yeah. If you play life very close to the chest, if you're very cautious about everything, you don't take chances in your day-to-day -day life, how are you going to intuit what those opportunities are in a script if, you, if you're not taking advantage of them in life? So I find that the best actors that make bold choices, because a lot of acting comes down to making strong choices and committing to them, are people that do that in their lives as well. I mean, I've moved many times in my life. I've traveled the world. I've, I've taken chances by changing careers. Like I, I haven't told this story yet. Which but we're going to talk left. about, by the way. Pardon? Which we're going to talk about, by the way. I got questions. Yeah, yeah, like I left Hollywood, like at the peak of my career. You know, make making bold choices is a key to acting, but I think also a key to life. And if you can blend those two things together, it becomes much more naturalistic. And then the, the last tip that I'll give right now is read out loud every day. I read out loud, whether either to my kids or my girlfriend, mm. or even before <laughs> I had kids, I would just read like Harry Potter books out loud and do all the voices because you need to get used to breathing life into the words on a page. And you can't just wait for an audition to do that. Hmm. Steve, man. Reading out loud is interesting. That's all really, I like, I really like the experience one. I never thought about it like that. You do have to have kind of emotional pull to pull from when yeah, you're acting. Live a big life. I mean, how are you going? Like you could tell people with a big character, that character is in their voice. Yeah. Now, of course, that's yeah. not to say that there isn't, a place for everyone and that you know if your voice yeah. sounds like this because you're you're a a uh a stereotype of an accountant <laughs> you could play an accountant type voice very well okay you could do that but that really is going to limit There's a niche for that can limit what you're doing yes be more unlimited in your life and you'll be more unlimited in the types of roles that you can play i like uh, i mean you, you, know, you know that's all well and good yeah. Hey, Joshua, it's all well and good, man. But at the end of the day, you know, I think it's a combination of things. I think, you know, voice acting, I think, first of all, you have to have some sort of passion towards it. Like you can't, you can't pick up a mic and say, I want to go voice cartoon characters and not immerse yourself somewhat in that. Like, I don't, I think, cause it's still acting. Like people, some people think it's a joke, but it's actual acting. It's a very right? rarefied like form of acting. Yeah. Because it has to all come yeah. through your voice. It can't be based on, you know, the way that you're using your body language or, raising an eyebrow and smirking or something that all has to come through <laughs> your voice. Okay, here's another tip. Have long form conversations. Well, that's what we're doing right now. We're having a long form yeah. conversations. People go through life now because of technology only really conversing through text 
or not not using their voice. Tweeting. You have to use your actual physical voice to get your personality out and make a connection with another person. Kind of starts there, right? Mm. It does. And speaking of, you know, making connections, I think obviously your most, you know, iconic role has made connections with people all around the world because it's been in our lexicon over the last 20 plus years. And that is, of course, you know, your role of Taikami and Digimon. And which that is, uh, <laughs> that's a big role to hang your hat on, man. Yeah. Hang your goggles on, whatever. Hang something on. But oh, hey, 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 we can do that. I'll put up my fist. We can do that. Both Joshua and Nice are holding up their own respective <laughs> Funko Pops of Ty from Digimon. <laughs> now back to our yeah, regular that programming. Wow, you have one too. <laughs> That's what you do. It's cool, I man. In the business, when I got my own Funko Pop. <laughs> oh man, you must get people coming to you with those all the time at the cons, eh? We run out of them all the time at the cons because people go around and buy them, you know, as soon as I get there. But it's pretty cool. I mean, to have a Funko, a Funko Pop of my, like, my iconic character that I'm known for. Yeah, that, that's really mm-hmm. special. Like, it, as an actor, whether in voice or in any kind of acting, like, you very rarely get to play the same role over and over for a long period years. of time. Usually you do the project. Yeah. And it's done. Sometimes people tell me, oh, you were in something. You were in Speed Racer. And then I forget and I look it up on on IMDb. <laughs> oh, yeah. I what, was, IMDb. I, what a flex. Yes, I was in that. I forgot because it was a, a couple of days or something, you know, 15 years ago. Mm. But Ty, I have been voicing for 20 years. So, yeah, it's a it's a part of it's a part of people's part childhoods of that they grew up with. Now, I've had people tell me it helped them get over hard times, not just Ty, but Digimon itself, because we talk mm-hmm. about real themes and and friendship and courage and family dynamics, real things that, you know, certain other anime <clears throat> Pokemon don't really at all. They just stay shallow. <laughs> let's fight. Let's fight monsters. Whoa. Hey, hey let me just say now, fuck Pokemon. Real fuck talk. Pokemon. No, I can't say that because I was, I was an announcer for Pokemon. Too. Crossover. Yeah. Kids I, WB, when, right? Yeah, right, exactly. When I was the pro I was the promo guy for Fox Kids, and then when Fox Kids went away, I became a promo guy for Kids WB. So I would I would be the guy that says, Next on Kids WB, an all new Pokemon. <laughs> or <laughs> Jackie Chan Adventures, the bad man, all that kind of stuff I promoed. So I'm part but, of that but, world. But as well. but this but this is what I mean, right? And I know you did a con the other day. You did it with Jason Page, the original singer of the Pokemon That's theme song. Right. That was That's dope. Right. We did that a dope. we did a battle of the theme songs, which which you can <laughs> check out on my TikTok for the uh, the younger fans. Boy, that TikTok took off. Mm. It's had over a third of a million views. Like, boom, yeah. like that. Trust me, that was for us. We needed and that. Now, but, um, now, once your listeners go there, it'll have a third of a million and five. <laughs> You're damn right. <laughs> yes. You're goddamn right. You're getting all five of them from us, Joshua. That's right. All five of them. We have at least but twelve, no, man. At least we have 12. at least twelve, but we'll be generous with five. <laughs> okay. But no, uh, I got, I gotta, you know, I gotta ask you because obviously it's a role. I think that's, you know, I think to anybody, but especially to you, I think it's a role that's near and dear to your heart, right? I think it's, you know, for for you to for you to come back out of retirement to do it. That's how you know it meant something to you. Funny story like, about that. The only reason that that <laughs> happened was Jeff Nimoy, who was the director on the original Digimon the movie, and also played Tentoman. Tentoman. Yeah, mm-hmm. after, I, I originated a lot of the Mons, a lot of those roles in season one, but then they started giving him to other actors. Yeah, because, we don't want to pay him too much. Well, they didn't want to get too reliant on one performer because then I would ask for more money. That's pretty yeah. much what it is. You know? <laughs> I don't want to give Joshua any more oh, money, man. so let's just give all the roles to other people. <laughs> Voice match this. <laughs> so, anywho, <laughs> he, he would admit it too, but he, he's a great writer and act and uh, director and friend. Actually, uh, he directed an anime-themed movie, live-action movie called Famish, which would be of interest mm-hmm. to anybody that's into the con scene yeah i'll check it out yeah and there's some other good actors in there like lex lang is in that for instance but anyhow oh uh, he's dope so so jeff made the mistake of posting that he had just come from a recording session for digimon try the first movie that they did now Mm -hmm. i had been out of hollywood for a few years because i left to go tour and do my live show 
and they didn't think to call me and see if I would want to come back and do Thai. So I wouldn't have known about it except that he posted it. And then he immediately had to take it down because mm-hmm. I don't know if he signed an NDA. I think that's what it was where he wasn't <laughs> supposed to, well, they weren't supposed to talk about it, but all of a sudden yeah. all my mentions, all my direct messages started blowing up with people saying, Hey, Joshua, are you coming back? Are you going to be doing, did you want to try? They're doing, did you want to try right now? Je- you know, Jeff Nemo, I just <laughs> posted that. Are you doing it? Are you doing it? <laughs> I don't know. So I, so I called Jeff. I'm like, what is going on? What's he told me, on? yeah. I contacted the head of the studio. I'm like, Hey guys, you know, I'm still here. Like I didn't die. It's just a plane ride away. I live in Florida. Now they think Florida is like <laughs> another country. Sometimes it feels like it, but it yeah. is, you could, you could fly back in a few hours. So he said, my bad. We didn't think you'd want to do it. We already recorded two sessions with somebody else. I never wanted to know who recorded Ty cause they burned it. And, but if you'll come back and as long as you, they said to me, as long as you will commit to doing all five try movies, they're yours. So, wow. Yeah, absolutely. I got on a plane like the next week, went back and started recording. So I did it because the fans told me about it, but also because I have kids of my own now and I want them mm-hmm. to grow up knowing me as this character. Cause obviously I can't have them watch Akira or some of the other stuff that I've done. They're too young, but they know Digimon. They know Ty. So I wanted to keep that alive for them as well as for the fans. And it all worked out in the end. Oh, you're damn right it did. Because you know what, man? Those movies, they were really, especially for us English watchers, it was a big deal to get a lot of you guys who did the original to come back and do it again, which is yeah, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. And I was it really, really happy with how Kizuna came out too, honestly. I was going to talk about Kizuna right now. Let's do it. Let's do it. it. So obviously for those of you who are uninitiated, you know, Last Adventure Kizuna is basically the send-off for the franchise, for lack of a better term. And... It is heart wrenching. I watched that like yes. Everybody says it made them. Yeah, it's tough, man. If it made you cry, yeah, I'm a I grown. Yeah, I'm a grown man. I was miserable watching that. Grown man. <laughs> Good. That's you know what idea. I mean? Yeah, because it's the ending of the but, journey. Um, pretty much, and and I wanted to ask you, like, you Ash, know, catch! I'm still ten you, years old. Ash, you know what? I don't want to swear again, but bun that guy. I don't want forget him. He, we're not talking about him. <laughs> but, you know, I can imagine. Forget him. But, you know, for Joshua, I can imagine, you know, you, you've been playing this character since he was an adolescent boy, a pre-adolescent boy. And now he's, you know, a college guy about to finish right, college right. And, and go off into the world. And, you know, it's, it's part, it's sad because it's like, it's like, it's like Digimon meets Pixar. Hmm. Like, it is sad as hell. Like, it's forcing you, it's like the Toy Story 3 Digimon films. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. Those are all good it movies. Is, it, is sad, it is sad as hell. Like, I'm not going to so ruin you come up, I'll, I'll be tied, but as the old man from Up. Oh, man. That'd be... Basically, basically, you'd be like, Agumon, <laughs> what happened? Get off my lawn, you little Digimon. <laughs> what are you, an orange dinosaur? Yeah. Like, it's crazy. But, um, <laughs> but no, like, I just, I wanted to ask you, like, how did it feel you in that booth? Knowing that this might be one of the last times. Well, I mean, it we'll w- get into it. it. Might not be the last time because you know, there's a reboot. I don't know if you know never about seen, it. So I don't think know, it'll be the last time. Who, who knows? Nobody knows. Nobody knows anything about what's ever going to happen. But but, but it's your mo- but it's your most poignant performance. It is. However, it wasn't that sort of a feeling in the studio because COVID was shutting everything down when I was out there. In fact, mm. the day that I flew to Los Angeles to to start voicing Digimon Kazuna. That's the day that the mayor shut down all the, the restaurants <laughs> in town and I don't live there anymore. So I get off the plane, I check into a hotel and I used to live in Burbank. So I know all my old favorite restaurants and I'm like, Oh, this is perfect. I'm going to go out and I'm going to go to this place and that place. And they're all closed and I'm, I'm walking down the street. It does not occur to me that they're closed because of the pandemic because nothing had closed yet. LA was the first place because it's so population dense, right? And, and I'm walking around thinking, oh man, how did they go out of business? They've been around forever. They went out of business too. Wait a second. What's happening? And then I walk all the way to the Burbank mall. That's closed too. And then I, I start to read what's posted on the signs. Oh, everything is shut down. I'm going to have to have dinner out of a vending machine in the hotel. And that's exactly what happened. I go into the studio the next day to start recording and everybody's got like, like the scripts holding him at arm's length, like, you know, stay away from me. Don't, don't touch me. Don't come near me. Everybody's paranoid. Nobody knows what to do. 
And we started recording that way until they closed the studio. I flew home. I did the rest of the movie from this mic, this $99 microphone right here. And it, and it worked wow. because the engineers are great. And they were able to voice match everything. No, obviously. They have to be super good at their job. Weirdest experience voicing anything ever. So a good capper on the career there. Hey, man. Like I said, all of you guys, go check out Kizuna, man. Kizuna is a film to be a film. Like, oof. I was pretty happy a- how that came out, yeah. And it did exceedingly well. We had to skip the theatrical release because the movie theaters were closed. But it was a top 10 movie on Apple. What do they call it? Apple? Apple movies, Apple. Was it iTunes, I guess? Yeah. Is it still called iTunes? On that. And on Amazon. I took screenshots where it was out of all movies, not just in anime, all movies. So like number four was Harry Potter. You know, number five was Digimon, something like that. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was highly successful. It's It's something to be proud of. Yeah, definitely. You guys go check out Keys. Good feeling. It's a film. (laughs) But no, so, so, you know, you... You go on, you make this iconic role your own, and you do it for a number of years. You're at the top of your game at this point. Now we get to the point where you decide, hey, listen, I'm done with all this California shit. I'm about to go be a magician and a hypnotist. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah, not in so many words, but yeah, basically, I was, <laughs> I was, all, well, the thing is, I was already doing that. I was already doing stage shows at events in Las Vegas on the weekends or a place called the Magic Castle in the Hollywood Hills on weekday nights. And then I'd get up in the morning and I'd go to a recording studio and record something. And I go to my agents and do an audition. I go to another studio and record something else. And then I go to like a celebrity party in the Hills or the castle at night. And I do a show and I was doing this like seven days a week, five or six years. One night I felt (laughs) like it wasn't, it wasn't like I was going to have a heart attack. It wasn't that present, but I, I remember lying down on the cold hardwood floor in my living room and just not, not being able to get up. Like I felt like a pressure, like a weight on me. Like I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't get up. I, I didn't get up until I made a decision and the decision had to be which career am I going to do? Cause I can't keep doing both. It's going to kill me. And so you were being crushed by your own success, I'm crushed by my own success. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like golden handcuffs, you know, especially in the performing arts, which both of these careers are, it takes you years to get good enough to where people want to hire you and you can have a career. Mm-hmm. And then you get to that point, you want to take every gig that comes your way. And I couldn't do it anymore. It was, I was physically exhausted. And so I decided I'm going to wrap up the seasons on everything I was doing. The last season I did was uh, cyborg soldier nine. I was the title character in that. And I sold mm-hmm. my house in LA and I moved to the beach in Santa Barbara, which is about. I thought you did Duel Masters. I thought that was the last Duel Masters. No, uh, Duel Masters was before 009. And the reason I know is I had mm. actually already sold my house in LA and I'd already moved to Santa Barbara, or maybe I was in the process of moving when I got the call saying they had started recording, kind of like, kind of like with Try. They started recording with somebody else. They didn't like, the producers didn't like the sound and they were going to scrap it and start over and they were like asking me to favor to stick around and do this, this show, which was very difficult because I'd already sold my house. So that meant a hundred miles each direction for the commute. And I actually, there was a, I remember there was an Amtrak train, a passenger train <laughs> that went from Santa Barbara to Burbank. And I thought, well, I'll just take that. It, it, one time I did, I went halfway and then <laughs> it, it stopped in the middle for some reason. Actually, they told me it's because freight trains get priority and passenger trains have to stop when a freight train is coming, which makes no sense because there were all yeah. people needing to go to jobs and things. There's and nobody I'm, alive in a freight I train. I got to go to Warner Brothers or wherever I was going. There's a studio session that I'm going to be late for. I had to. There were no Ubers at the time. I had to get a taxi. I don't know what that cost to go like 70 miles in a taxi from the train oh, station God. in wherever I was all the way into Los Angeles. That, I, that happened one time. So anyway, it didn't really work. And then I was, then I was out <laughs> at that point. I was out. I did nothing for six months. I just took walks. I took long walks on the beach. I did. I just walked on the beach and I went bike riding and I learned to kite surf and make salsa and fish tacos and just hung out and rested for like six months. And then this friend of mine, who's a magician uh, named Justin Willman, who's actually famous for being the star of magic for humans 
on Netflix now, which is a great series. He came up and visited me and was like, dude, you're like in your early thirties. You can't just stop. I'm like, I can't do either. I can't do anything. I'm done. Like I kind of, I, I sort of had, like, burnt a, out. I don't know if it was a midlife crisis or I was just, I was just done. I was just yeah exhausted. He said, come on tour with me. I'm doing all these college shows. And so I went on tour with him and hmm. immediately kind of found my groove again and started doing live shows, which now I'm a mentalist, which is a branch of magic, which is all magic of the mind. And I love it. And I hope I never stop. I, I, I get I, so much energy from the crowds. Cause remember I started doing live theater. So for me being in a soundproof booth all day long without any audience feedback is very draining, but being in front of a live audience, I mean, I'll fly halfway around the world and have done so many times just to jump on stage for an hour and do a show. Uh, Cause I get so much energy. Joshua it. Seth is an extrovert. You heard it here first. I'm a super extrovert. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been scary. Did you know you were going to be successful when you kind of took a step back from that? Successful with the touring, you mean? With the live shows? Yeah, because it must have been scary. Because I know you were having a, a good level of success from both. But like, it must have uh, been like, like anxiety. No, I, I don't think anybody ever knows. whether. I mean, even when you're yeah. doing a movie or something, you don't know if the movie is going to be successful. I, you don't know. You just learn not to worry about it. Just stay present. That's easier said than done. Uh, the golden handcuffs. As soon as you said golden handcuffs, I resonated with them. Maybe. Like, I mean, it, yeah. is it easier said than done? Look, one of the most influential books I've ever read is Siddhartha. Siddhartha is the story mm -hmm. of the Buddha written by Herman Hesse. Or Hesse. And uh, mm. one of the primary directives, let's say, in that book, lessons is a better word, is mm -hmm. patience. Know what you want and be patient and let it come to you. Just stay on path, stay focused on your goal, and let it come to you. Stop trying to force the world to do what you want all the time and and just stay true to your heart, your heart's desire, as it were. So I don't think in terms of success, perhaps the way that most people do. I'm not looking to be successful in terms of money or fame or power or anything. Success mm -hmm. to me is just being able to continue doing what I love day after day. That's beautiful. We don't have that Honestly, in this generation. I'll tell you that. We don't. We, we have don't. we have social media, people post, uh, posting their highlight reels. Uh, success feels like it's a very quick uh, thing. One yeah, you know video that's all bullshit, everybody. That's all bullshit. Yeah. Nobody's posting <laughs> yeah. pictures of them washing their car. They just post yeah. a picture of them standing next to a gleaming car. Yeah. You know, they, uh, how, right. much, no, nobody, how much nobody wants to post the so you got yeah, tired, right? Nobody wants to post the failures. That's why people get depressed, like because they get envious of lifestyles that aren't real. <laughs> or the people are doing it and they're debt financing it, putting it on credit cards because they're so hungry for likes. It's all ridiculous. Like now I am again, I was different generation where I grew up with like books and conversations with people. <laughs> so maybe it's not as important to me because of that, but ultimately it's, it's not real and it's, it's not good for people's psychological and emotional well-being to have your sense of self-worth tied to how many strangers follow you online and like your posts that's meaningless and now may, when i say meaningless i i get the alternate argument i mean i am on social media and it has had some business benefits for me but yeah. i don't tie it to my sense of self-esteem or self-worth self that's what i'm yeah. talking about yeah you're 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 lucky that you don't have the whole instant gratification thing that we have you know oh, like we're uh <laughs> We, we plug ourselves into these phones and we'd be like, oh, I need it's people a, to but love it's me. A, it's a I decision. Accept me. I, I prefer stoicism. If it weren't for my kids, I'd be perfectly happy living out of a backpack. And I know for a fact <laughs> because I did it before kids. I mean, I traveled the world for a while. I was headlining on cruise ships and they would fly me to a country. You know, I'd go to Jamaica and the ship wouldn't be there for a couple of days and I'd hang out. And then we'd cruise around the Caribbean and they'd let me off in another island and St. Martin or St. Kitts or something. And maybe I wouldn't have another gig. Maybe, you know, maybe I'd have a college tour on land or something. I have to come back, but sometimes not. And I'd say, just leave me here and I'll, you know, I'll pay for it. And a lot of these countries aren't very expensive and they're beautiful and yeah. you have a great standard of living and just, you know, live in a spare room in somebody's house on the beach and you know, have a drink out of a coconut that somebody <laughs> chops off on a street corner for 50 cents. It's still like that all over the world. And people think, oh, I need to have a big house. Oh, I need to have a BMW. I need to ha I need, need, need. You don't need any of these things. You need to have a sense of self and, you know, like 
have the sun on your face every once in a while and have a real conversation and a real connection with a real person every once in a while and like get up and uh, off the screen and move your body around. Like these are real things. And before kids, it was easier for me to do that. I mean, I've, I've, I spent, I, I have spent the equivalent of months on the Greek islands and, wow. and in just exotic Sounds locations. Sounds like the life. Yes and no. I mean, sometimes it was really hot. I've spent quite a bit of time in the Middle East <laughs> with no air conditioning mm-hmm. and waking up in the middle uh, of the night, sweating so bad, it feels like you're going to slip off the sheets and you can't open the window. You've been to so Africa bad. yet? I've not. No, I've not been to Africa and I've not been to India and I've not been to Antarctica. I've not been everywhere. I've been places where I was paid to go do a show, basically. And then when the show is done, again, before kids, when the show was done, I would stay. You know, I stayed in Thailand and I, I wandered around and I saw, uh, I think it cost $50 to rent a boat wow. with a boat pilot for a day, for an wow. entire day to go up the Klongs, which are the rivers, and go directly to see like the Jade Buddha and the Reclining Buddha and, and, and Wat Pho and all of these amazing architectural delights that that you've you you just you don't you you don't realize how big and 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 rich and varied the world is until you get out of the bubble in which we are all we all feel trapped in order to do it i mean i can't do it now now i'm the opposite now i'm basically a soccer mom which is a single dad with an eight and ten year old well he just turned 11 so an almost nine and just turned 11 year old and I've got them Monday through Friday and I'm driving them to school and making them food and helping them with their homework and taking them to dance class and singing class and math tutoring. And, you know, like half my days are spent doing that. And, you know, the day this to everything, there is a season. And in this portion of my life, it's about them. But there are great rewards in getting outside of yourself and making it making your life not just about you, which is why I love being a dad. I love making my life about them. And then at some point they'll, they won't want that anymore and they'll be off on their own. And yeah. then I probably will go indulge my wanderlust and get the <laughs> hell out, you know, and go see the world again, because it's a big, beautiful place. Yeah, would you say that being a dad here. is your, would you say that being your dad is your career defining role? At this point in my life, it's my career defining role. Yes. <laughs> now, now I will say though, it's not enough. It's not enough because the, when everything shut down during the pandemic and I was no longer touring and doing shows, uh, at first before virtual became a thing, uh, yeah, I got very sad and grumpy, like an- annoyed. Sad is the yeah. wrong word. I got easily annoyed, let's say, yeah. because the kids are doing virtual school from home. And I don't have any work. And whether I like it or not, I do define myself to some extent through my creative output. I mean, look, to be mm-hmm. honest, yeah, I, de- I define myself by the quality of my relationships, the quality of my parenting, and the quality of my creative output. And I didn't have any creative output for a few months there. But then virtual started, and, and I started, like you said, coaching people on these yeah. new classes to do voiceovers. And I put together a communication skills keynote which is like a speech on how to use your voice to make an impact which was like for sales and leadership groups that i did all over the world but from home during doing virtual and even magic shows virtual magic shows which really sucked at the beginning of the pandemic but there are such creative people in that field that together we were all able to sort of figure out how to make a compelling engaging show two-dimensionally through screen in fact i just did a corporate virtual show yesterday do I like them as much as live? No, because I, I want to have the connection with Energy. people in the room. But yeah. do I like it better than not doing anything creative? Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> quite a bit. So that was a lifesaver. No, I mean, honestly, man, it sounds like, you know, you've run the gamut of doing all the stuff that you really want to do. I feel like, you know, at this point, you must be sort of looking at it like, you know, what's the next thing? So let me ask you, what's the next thing for Joshua Sutt? Like, You've been a successful voice actor, a successful mentalist and hypnotist. And what's like, what's the next thing on the docket for you? The next thing, actually, I was before this interview today, I was just editing the video, the demo video for my Cirque type show. It's a, I've, I've always liked those big Cirque shows that were bigger than just one performer. Like for my whole career as a stage performer, it's just been me on stage, which is cool because logistically it's very easy, especially my type of show where there's no props. A man walks out onto a bare stage, 
gets hit with a spotlight and starts to like do amazing things like that. That's always been my late motif for my show, my sort of guiding thought behind it. But because when everything shut down during the pandemic, I had a pause and a moment to reimagine it. I thought, well, what would the show be like if I anchored, if I anchored it with what I do as a mentalist, but all around me were swirling physical acts, quite the opposite. we got the mind and the body, right? I'm doing the mind reading and then you got contortionists and gymnasts and jugglers and acrobats and adagio dancers and things going back and forth between what I do and they do. So I just premiered that show last month in Orlando and we're cutting the demo together at the moment. Anyway, it's called Joshua Seth's imagine. And the idea is like, imagine, you know, what is possible. And, uh, and so hopefully that will be coming to a performing arts center near you at some point. In the meantime, I'll continue to start to ramp up the, the live mentalism shows and doing all these comic cons. That's also been a lot of fun for me. I've been doing them every other weekend and that's going to continue into the foreseeable future here is going out and doing these comic con autograph signings for people and getting to meet the fans, which is so cool. And one of the reasons I was happy to do this interview with you today, give some context to the career and then uh, hopefully doing the live shows at colleges and comedy clubs in those cities on the nights when I'm in those, those towns doing the, doing the comic cons during the day and doing the live shows at night. I have a question. Anime fans are some of the most kind of the biggest stands in all of media. So were you kind of taken aback by how in love with you they were, in love with your character, or kind of emotionally invested in your journey? Well, that's why I like it, right? It's because I get a big emotional hit out of it when Aww. people come up and they're like, look at the fan artwork that I drew. Some some kid made Agumon out of clay at the last one and gifted it to me. And I was like, I can't take this. I had to take you hours. It looks really good. I said, like, no, I made this for you. Uh, tattoos, people have shown me. I put on my TikTok, some uh, woman came up and she had, uh, Digimon tattoos on her arm. And then all these other people started posting pictures of their Digimon tattoos as well. So yeah, it's just, just phenomenal to get that outpouring of love and connection from people. I can't wait to see when you get like a wolf screen tattoo. I can't wait to see how you react to that. That's a deep cut. Yeah. There, uh, when there's somebody who's a fan of wolf screen, I know they really, they really know their anime. It's funny. My oh, kids, no, absolutely. some of, some of my projects I haven't shown my kids because like wolf's rain, I just think it's just too mature. The themes, I agree. but but they've grown out of the original Digimons, and they watch. You know, they're their own people. They're watching their own thing. So they're like, they're not interested in my stuff now. They want to meet like a voice actor from Demon Slayer or something that they're watching. Mm. They, I wanted to know: Do you watch animes today, like the newer ones that that come out? I've never watched anything. I've I <laughs> I had hippie parents that wouldn't let me watch TV when I grew up, so yeah. I listened to. Cassette tapes, that's how long ago it was. Cassette tapes of what the golden those? age of radio. <laughs> so all my references are, you know, the Oval Teen Hour, the Shadow Doze, you know, the Lone Ranger, stuff like that. I listen to all that. Yeah. And even now, like I said, I like listening to audiobooks. I like listening to music more than I like watching stuff. So mm. I, don't, I don't watch much mm. of anything. Movies occasionally. But not well, What's, you know, what's your favorite movie, man? I need to know. A what? I need to know what your favorite movie is. The Matrix. Always, always you the Matrix. You know what? You know what? That's going to literally lead into my next question. I was about to ask you. I don't know if you know this. So they hit Will Smith with this every couple of years, but I don't know if you know, Will Smith was supposed to play Neo in The Matrix. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. Different people have over the years. Uh, I also heard, uh, who was it? Um, oh, no, wait. You don't mean in The Matrix. You mean in, in Akira, right? Oh, well, no, I mean, uh, well, oh, you're, you're still si talking about the matrix. Okay. I'm sorry. I was, I was getting, yeah, ahead. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. In the matrix. No, oh, no, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. As opposed to Keanu Reeves. Yeah. So they wanted Will Smith to play Neo, but instead of him playing Neo, he went on to go do Wild Wild West, which we all know was a shit show. Right now hmm. he's talked about, he's talked about it years after the fact saying, Hey, you know, I regret not taking that. So I wanted to ask you, Joshua, what's a role that, you know, that you saw was really dope, but you regretted not taking it. Well, it wasn't directly offered to me, but I left right when the people I was working with started working on Naruto. I left, I left LA right when that project was. You could have been in Naruto. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probable. You would have been, yeah. you would have been perfect. Yeah. 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 You would I have already been... know like three roles you would have been great for. Oh. So, 
Oh so, my gosh. To this day, I still haven't seen the, the show, but I know it was pretty big. And it was the yeah. year that I was leaving little, LA when they were starting to work on it. And it was a lot of the same people that were working on it. And that's how the business works. Once people get to know, like, and trust you and, and yeah. like working with you, uh, they tend to continue to work with the same people over and over. That would have been nice. That would have been one. Oh, yeah. man, he would have he would have made a great Iruka, right? Oh, yeah. I've shed oh. many I've shed many tears to Naruto. You Josh, know, every time I do that. one of these comic cons and I talk to voice actors, like I was with uh, Wayne Grayson at the last one, who was was he Michelangelo on the Turtles? I think that was from the, the 2003 Ninja Turtles. Yeah, and yeah, Julie yeah. from Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, and yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh. Right, and he's like Joshua. Why don't you do? Why don't you just voice anime from home? Like you have the mic, you have the setup. I mean, it's always pot because I'm like, really, even now that the studios are open, you're still voicing from home. And he's like, yeah, we're still doing a lot of voicing from home, which I didn't realize. I probably could have been voicing stuff all during the pandemic. But my, you know, just in terms of creative output and what I'm focused on, like yeah. I'm always focused on the live show now and I'm not thinking about it. If something came to me, if somebody reached out to me and be like, hey, you know, can you hop on a session from home? Yeah, certainly I would do it. So. You know, I'm not closing the door on it. I could do it. And and with the possibility of doing things remotely, like you guys are up in Canada. You said you're in Toronto, right? Yeah. Fantastic city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love I love uh, the I love Toronto and um and Montreal. Uh, Montreal. Montreal. Yeah. Especially old mm -hmm. Montreal. Beautiful. Yeah. Or Banff. Mm -hmm. I've been around there. In oh, fact, yeah. I'm doing a show. I'm doing a show in Edmonton, uh my second time oh. doing a festival cool. up there uh later this year in the summer. So, yeah, I love traveling up there, but I wouldn't have gone up there to be interviewed by you guys. That would be out of the question. <laughs> Nor would you have come down here to Florida. The only way it's happening is we because came. is because we could do this virtually. So if I could yeah. do that virtually for voiceovers. Expands the possibilities. Yeah, I can, and I probably should. It's just that I wake up in the morning thinking about my live show. How can I, you know, work on some routine for it? Or, you know, there's always contracts and booking logistics to work on or some some creative project that's going on. And I just never got around to, to putting the word out that I could do the voiceovers from here, but who knows, you know, it's, it's possible. Anything is possible. <laughs> I have a so question. So would you be i uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. I just, uh, I, I always, this is a huge, uh, like, this is a huge argument on in anime spaces. Uh, and I want to know what your take is as a, as a voice actor. There's a huge opposition from the camps of sub versus dub. You know, like what I mean yeah, by yeah. that? Yeah, of course. So, in sub versus which dub, is better? which is better? People like sub more. People disregard dub. Some some animes were originally made to be in Japanese or something, but they actually the dub ended up being like outshining the original voice actor. So it's kind of. What's your take here, on here, that? Here, well, here, well here's, Digimon's here's a great example of that, though. Digimon here's, is a great example. Look, here's my answer. Beware of yeah. too much certainty, okay? Because you limit hmm. your. You limit your options. If if you start saying something like this is the best or these things suck just in a blanket way, it's very limiting. Like you can't say that. That's true. Know, it may be in some maybe in some cases the sub is better than the dub. Look, with the original Akira, I'm not a fan of the streamlined dub. And I would think in that, you know, if, if it hadn't been for my version, the pioneer dub, I would say the sub is better. But then again, I don't speak that language and it pulls me true. out of the action to have to read the sub so oh. given the new option which is my version of the dub i would take my version just you know it all, it's like with people like you can't just make some blanket that's not biased at all that's, hmm? that's a good answer dragon ball z better better dub yeah you can't make some blanket uh, statement debatable. like you know this category is good and this category is bad just take it on a case case by case basis and it's a personal preference anyway yeah that's good it's answer. a silly argument it's oh, a no, fun he, argument. He gave us the most politician piece. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> it's, the opposite of, it's the opposite of politics because people like to treat politics like it's a team sport. You know, everything my team mm. says is good and everything your team says is You're evil right, and destructive. That yeah, doesn't I help guess. anybody. Like, there's no way to create compromise and harmony that way. There's a, where's the love? Full Metal Alchemist, <laughs> better, better, better dub. I agree, but but you know what it is. There's stuff like when we talk about Digimon specifically, like Digimon the dub, and everybody who watches it knows they threw in like a lot of like throwaway jokes and like a lot of the characters themselves are like impersonations of people. Like if you watch the show, 
there's a character named Edamon who's literally a ripoff of Elvis Presley. Like, oh, oh, oh. like it's yeah, so stupid. It's funny. Like, you wouldn't, uh, but you wouldn't get the humor. I think if it weren't for the dub. You know, no, that's the thing, right? You have another yeah. character. I think his name is Digitamaman. He's like a really, really bad impression of Peter Lorre. Where it's like, oh, you stupid, no, yeah. and like it's like, re- and they're all just like impressions of people that have been dead for like years and years and years. Oh yeah, but usually it, are. It's, it's what, it's what adds like a little bit of like you know timelessness to it, right? That's why when I was pointing out when I was talking about Jeff Nimoy before that he's such a, a good writer and funny guy, he, he put a lot of that in there and. Some of these actors also, like, they have voice references that are dated and from another era. So sometimes they layer it on. But he actually, he and his writing partner at the time, Bob Buckholtz, they they wrote a lot of those jokes that they weren't in the original and they just added them and made it more lighthearted. And one of the things I liked about working on the original Digimon the movie is because the budget was bigger, we had more time to collaborate and joke around and think of funny stuff like that. And it's another thing mm-hmm. that makes Digimon different than a lot of other anime is is the humor and that comedy came from the directors the writers and the actors and it's what makes the dub in and of itself and it's why people always talk about it they're like the digimon dub may not be a like faithful one-to-one but they kept a lot of things on tv that other americanized animes weren't doing like they kept a lot of the characters names the same and you know the whole hour of the beast thing like etl there's a there's a reference where you know, they talk about the hour of the beast, you know, the sixth second of the sixth minute of the sixth. It's literally from the Bible, bro. And they in left Digimon? that in a kid's show. Yeah. And they left that in a kid's show. Yeah. Like, well, they left that Devimon. in the American version of it. Remember, I didn't watch most of this stuff except for the movies. So I never, mm-hmm. I, there's but, a lot of stuff that I voiced that I never watched. And I certainly never watched the originals because I don't want to be derivative of what the original works are. That and that's actually. fine too. It's just I yeah. thought about it. The fact that you know this was a show that came out in the late '90s, and they kept a lot of what it was. Like they didn't hide the fact that the show took place in Japan, which every other anime at the time was doing. I thought that, yeah. that was really cool. People even think at a young it was age, late was '90s, dope. but it was really like '99, 2000. You know, when we started working on it, it feels mm. like '90s. But there was no anime on American television in the '90s. It started with stuff like Digimon and Pokemon. Other than like Dragon Ball and like Pokemon or like Sailor Moon, stuff like that. You yeah, know? But it, it, you're talking like the very end of the 90s. For most of the 90s, mm-hmm, you didn't mm-hmm. have any of this kind of stuff on TV. You know, the edgiest you'd get would be like Darkwing Duck. And I used to study. I used to study. I would take – I had a VCR and I would record on like videotape the Saturday morning cartoons – and I would slow it down and I would look, I would freeze frame and I would write down who was the casting director, who was the voice of this and that in the 90s. There weren't smartphones. There wasn't Google and stuff like that. <laughs> and I did all this on my own. I was like, okay, I need to re- I need to meet this casting director because she's casting all these shows. Oh, that I like this voice actor. He's on all these. And I would like freeze frame it on the videotape. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's you know that's how you know how far technology's come and how far you it know, has come future, so far into man. the future we are you know yeah but you know final final sort of thoughts I wanted to ask you know like I said there is a Digimon reboot now so like I hope uh, I hope you're being I hope you're keeping your ear to the ground for that well the the head of that studio reached out to me months ago and said nothing personal but we're we're recasting everybody they're gonna recast everybody because for the <laughs> they said that, that already they said that already yeah that that they want they're the same uh-huh. names. But it's a yeah. totally different show. You know, the humor and the heart that you're talking about that we put into it, they're going a different direction. It's more about battles and fighting. And, <sighs> you know, it's, it's, it's a card game that they're tying it into. So it's going to have a whole different feel. And I've also heard at the Comic-Cons recently, for people that saw the original Japanese language version, that it feels like something completely different. So, you know, all right. So I become the nostalgic version of, you know the voice of your childhood and then this is something new there's always a moment to pass the baton and this will probably be it and then uh there's also a possibility that they might be rebooting uh wolf's reign so like i mean is there any chance you might I hadn't heard, I, I had not heard that look like i said especially if anybody calls like i'm happy to do it <laughs> i got the mic i got the time as long as it's uh during the hours when my kids are in school i'm home so let's leave it at that because and I want know, to keep the doors open. But so far, nobody's yeah, reaching out to me. Definitely. I should mention. I should mention. Uh, in the meantime, though, for you know, for anybody that was is interested in learning about voiceovers, again, just go to joshuaseth.com/vo 
And you're welcome to watch that class for free that I recorded. And then I have some other stuff mm. that you can jump on there. Or uh, if you're interested in some of the more philosophical stuff that I talked about, I wrote a book. Yeah. It's kind of the the basis of my keynote speeches. It's called, it's yeah. backwards here on the video, but it's finding focus in a changing world. You're talking about how much the world is changing and how people feel like the need to get their sense of self-worth from technology and social media and stuff. And I'm saying, no, there's other things that you can focus on other ways to live your life and, and be successful on your own terms. That's what's in that book. You could buy it on Amazon or you could just download it for free. I give that away too. Just go to joshuaseth.com slash free. And then I'm on all the social medias, although I'm really getting into TikTok lately. So you find me over mm, there. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm liking doing We're gonna the We're going to put all the links in there. We're going to put all the links in there because we want people to see how talented our bro Joshua Deep Bag Seth is. We want <laughs> Thank everybody you. to know. That, that'll be my new name. I'll put that on the business card. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, like I said, you know, we got we thank you for coming, man. Uh, ETL, uh, you you already know who we are. Uh, Joshua, you want to uh, you want to send us off? All right. <laughs> Was there like a phrase or something you wanted me to say? Right. Hey, hey, man, just you know, do do it like Ty would do it and say, you know, thanks for listening to Switching Gears podcast. Thanks for watching or listening to, I suppose. Thanks for listening to the Switching Gears podcast. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> you already know. See y'all next week. Yeah, oh, man, I love